Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. We're back with another Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. And my next guest is a nationally recognized marketer with a background across cannabis, fashion, beauty, and wellness. She is recognized among Green Entrepreneur's list of the top 25 brands that killed it in marketing in 2019 and has been awarded three Cannabis Clio Awards. I'm joined here on Blunt Business by the head of marketing at State House Holdings, based in California, Angela Pye. Angela, thanks for being on with us. Thank you so much for inviting me today. My pleasure. Really appreciate you being on. You were recently awarded a Science and Research Award at the Green Market Report 2023 Women's Leadership Awards. And before you joined State House Holdings, you led a dynamic team across marketing, research, and development and scientific affairs. You had launched, helped to launch two new brands, introduced 70 new products, and directed an existing portfolio of 12 brands at Canacraft. Uh, talk to me real quickly about the recognition, which you have said, quote, is shared with all the R&D specialists and cannabinoid scientists whom I've worked with in the past four years, bringing effective therapeutic products to market. Absolutely. I'm fortunate enough to have started in cannabis about four years ago with Popham Barkley, which is a, a really yeah. beloved brand in um, in California and starting to really make traction nationally across the U.S. And with Popham Barkley, I really learned a lot and much of the fundamentals about um, cannabis wellness and looking at cannabis as a therapeutic solution to live a healthier lifestyle, to look for alternative solutions for pain, anxiety, and sleep. And with Papa and Barclay being an education first brand that really reaches out to try and capture that first cannabis conversation with consumers, there's that confidence that the quality of the product is well-developed, that it's consistent, and it's going to offer consumers the types of effects or results that they're looking for. So with that um, ambition and rigor and going into the second cannabis company I worked at, which is Canacraft, which had a competing brand, which is Care by Design, also ratio-based and a therapeutic wellness brand, we actually had on staff two PhD cannabinoid scientists in product development and food science um, staff members on our research team. So being in a company that had professionals in the development of these therapeutic products, I really had a chance to learn a lot. Is from a marketing standpoint, when you think about marketers, we look at what is the consumer segment? What's the opportunity? How do we bring a product to market? Uh, what is the go-to-market strategy? And how do we develop that consumer base? But that's only one aspect of what a thorough marketer to do, should do. There's also the importance of looking at what are the types of products 
that you're bringing to market is the research and scientific foundation of that product worthy and how is it going to be differentiated in the ways that it's going to be used so i i guess going back to i got a, a great opportunity in terms of training in cannabis knowledge and then really being able to harness all of the knowledge that I've had with the teams that I've worked with and bringing award-winning and more importantly, um, consumer solutions to market. So one of the more recent products that I brought to market at Canacraft was the one-to-one max. Mm -hmm. And it's the first cannabis tincture that's a thousand milligrams CBD with a thousand milligrams THC so that you have the CBD helping to offset any kind of anxiety that you might feel sometimes with THC or just pure THC, because there are already a thousand milligram THCs available within the market. So, you know, just understanding how your endocannabinoid system works um, and how a high potency tincture for wellness is going to be able to affect um, and and be helpful to consumers. Now, one thing in that point of the science and research award is because of the work you did uh, working with research and development. Now, mm-hmm. in, in those cases with marketing, I'm going to pull the curtain a little bit back on cannabis training <laughs> on how the bread is made, Angela. So <laughs> we regularly work with marketing uh, people like yourself because of the fact that you know, we're always, if we're looking for those that are looking for, that we're looking to have, that we think would be great to sponsor the network, for instance, once we're talking to either the CEO or whichever famous, which either chief executive we're talking to, they're always going to have the conduit be that head or director of marketing. Mm-hmm. With that said, normally I'd never really get a good sense of, of how, there are basically different directors of marketing we've talked to and we work with pretty extensively that have really some might not be too overly embedded in the process or when it comes to having a good understanding of what the whole pipeline the whole supply chain is but that's something you did yourself the fact that you not just did the marketing but you also were involved in the research and development and the scientific affairs that's a lot of integration for a role that you're in it's i mean really it's more than just marketing but i mean it's kind of hard to kind of put a title around it and mm-hmm. what I want to ask about is it leads into my next point where you would have an understanding and you would be looking at the idea where state house holdings recently just joined the cannabis research coalition. Now, besides the fact this, this distinction is here and that you're involved there, are certain, the, the word is being said is that the partnership will address cannabis cultivation and post-harvest challenges. And the collaboration is exactly what the cannabis industry needs to improve the areas of quality, efficiency, and sustainability. So what I want to ask is because of this coalition, And the importance of what they're doing, they're working with cannabis industry stakeholders, expanding the exploration of the cannabis plant, putting into action science-based research to formulate techniques that are needed to create sustainable, efficient, and profitable industry of of, of cannabis industry. Mm -hmm. So you're embedded into all this here. And that's more than I can say of a lot of other people in the same role you would have at any other MSO. What is it about? The, all the extra work that you have in front of you and the whole being that nucleus of all these moving parts. 
For me, I find it exceptionally exciting that um, I'm not just segmented into how to build a brand, how to find the right audience, how to create traction with retailers, and on the retail side, how to um, keep happy consumers coming back more often. To have a thorough understanding across all of the disciplines within a company, so um, in terms of supply chain, I learned a lot in the last couple of years in terms of supply chain by bringing all these products to market. So understanding the ultra, uh, the agricultural cultivation side of the business in terms of in terms of yields, in terms of what's going to um, be the healthiest plants to give you the the best efficiency for say ice water hash. And then looking at the more sort of CPG side of the business where we're looking at how are you procuring the packaging, the printing, the bottles, the vessels, and and the lead time it takes to take care of all of those aspects going then into production, the R&D lead time, the product development lead time, and then working with all of the teams to then map out what is the right time and the phase in which you bring a product to market and then build that go-to-market strategy from knowing all of the other components that goes about into really create a, creating a successful product and bringing it to a consumer and to a retailer. So for me, I feel really privileged being able to see behind the curtain, so to speak, and then being one of the, the key stakeholders in bringing that and in, in making it all happen. I think every company needs champions in order to be an innovation-focused company in terms of the velocity of new product development, um, looking at the opportunity within the marketplace, what are consumers looking for, and also you know, developing the, the least served part of the market, but understanding that there's a bigger opportunity in the future, say with beverages, having created branded and named Gem and Jane, which is a all-female led and a beverage that was created for women by women, that was seeing a market opportunity with a potential consumer looking for multiple lower potency beverage consumption occasions. And, and then working back with a research and scientific team on developing the right flavors, the right dosing, working with contract manufacturing, and then looking at supply chain of where and how to buy the cans, which manufacturer to go to for sleeves that go on the can, how to price it. So um, in a way, I have been fortunate enough to be put into, into a very entrepreneurial entrepreneurial position within the companies that I've worked for that I get to touch each aspect of it by identifying an opportunity, working with the teams internally, and then bringing all of us together towards an eventual launch that we know may not be huge revenue for the time being, but we know that it is a growing market within the industry. And then as you know, the the market only grows when you're able to bring new consumers into it. So when we look at, right. all right, um, when I started working on uh, beverages. I think well, actually, can I hold right there? I'd love to talk about beverages and CPG. <laughs> Uh, yeah, absolutely. And we're going to definitely bring that up because there's a whole lot more to say. But I, before we go move on to that, I want to just get to the point of to unpack what you were saying in terms sure. of 
having maybe a smaller brand and then you know that experience of working with these larger brands like pop and barkley and yep. Craft, yep. but now working in this kind of this craft field in california that is something where both types uh large and small can thrive mm-hmm. so that's and and also on top of that what you've been working on the whole explanation you just gave just tells me it's ambitious and the head of marketing role is not even the best title for you is there has to be something a little bit more grandiose a little bit more but it would be too long a title to put on like a placard but that's that's the idea you know well i think if there was a position within our industry that hasn't been explored i would say it would be instead of a chief marketing officer probably a chief development officer somebody who's looking at the development opportunities in the way that perhaps like the entertainment industry has development teams that look at opportunities, that see the opportunity within a marketplace that identifies what are the potential sparks of business building ideas and bring it all together. But this is, it's actually a really interesting question that you're asking because this position doesn't exist yet in uh, in our industry. But in other industries, we can see that research and development, or as you said, a chief development officer, I vote we break you. We give you that title, state house holdings. <laughs> if you're listening, obviously, do that. I gotta ask one other question, and I've always wanted to ask this. Okay, I, and I'm gonna say this for the first time on the air, but uh, the PR people that we work on the industry, and obviously, I was able to get the, the chance to go and connect with you because uh, you have a very, a very formidable and a very credible one of the bigger. Uh, PR agencies out there. Listen, I and I'm, I'm not going to name names. It's just but I respect a lot what they do over there because we work with them all the time. But the one thing is, is that they are, in, in a way, and I say this with the with the most fondness, it kind of a bit of a gatekeeping kind of feel to it. Where some marketing uh, people that are in marketing, the PR company working alongside you can really take much of the marketing arm away from someone that's marketing in terms of where that person is just doing basically just facilitation, not really directly making decisions. And I just want to know with what you're doing, where you do have a PR arm that could all, that will always provide services like marketing and how they might want to, you know, offer their own input into what you're doing. How do you go ahead and manage working with someone that you're outsourced with while working with them? What is the best interest of state house holdings? Well, that's a really valid question and how I've really navigated and shaped um, the, the working relationship with uh, PR specialists in this, in this field has been at several, in several capacities. One, a strategic marketing or, or strategic business standpoint. Mm-hmm. What are the most important aspects of your business and your brands that you would want um, investors, uh, retailers, consumers to know about your brand and your business, and then develop that strategic plan together with the PR agency or the PR team. Now, um, we also know at the other end, you know, especially within cannabis, it's a boots on the ground kind of business. You can't just come up with great grandiose plans and then hope it's going to be executed well. You need to really put in the work and keep nailing those executional important elements to be able to bring about the type of stature, the the kind of awareness that you need. What do you want people to know about your brand and your products and really get 
into, I think, the familiarity of developing those one-on-one relationships with your consumer, as well as your customers in terms of, you know, if you think about a retailer standpoint. So um, you have to put in the work and willing to um, work with a PR team who's going to be able to cover you on those grounds. We work, I'll tell you, I know that with these PR companies, with some of them that have just reached out to me to connect so we could do these kind of media interviews, had to work with them to understand, mm-hmm. listen, if you want to go and get on cannabis radio, you got to come in with, with something a little more, you know, there's got to be more to it. Uh, nothing generic. And for me, everybody knows I have a pretty good set of parameters on, on really filtering who makes it onto the air. You absolutely qualified more than enough. And, you know, I, I feel bad. I, I, I really took this interview away from someone like uh, our plant profits program, which would love, I'm sure they would probably, if I pitch to them, have you on their show, which I'm going to do after probably because of just the background, which we don't even have time to go and talk about the background, but we're going to at least touch upon it on the, after the break. But I love the way you're going to present that. And I hope that other marketing people in the cannabis industry understand that. Like this is, you show a great example of, as, as you said, development, working in various, within various sectors within the company, having a good understanding. Cause then if the chief executives want to reach out to you and say, Angela, what can you tell us about what's going on on the ground? Operations, basically. You mm-hmm. know what's going on because you have yourself involved in all of it and you're getting reported to on that. That's the epitome of what marketing people in the industry should be. And the way you work alongside a very strong, formidable, you know, a, a very influential PR firm, that makes the perfect storm. So that's why working here at State House Holdings, you've only been here, you know, not even a year yet, but there's no, already been some quite. of an impact so far. But, we're, Aww, you know, thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Absolutely. When it, you just, when I see that happening, I can see that State House Holdings is going to get a lot more headlines in the future. And that's what I'm glad we get a chance to talk to you at such an early point of the stage of this new venture. So let's go into a commercial break. I know we talked before we got on the air. This is a story I, I thought was really interesting and, yeah, like I said, uh, our plant profits program. Vern Davis, you're going to love this. We're going to talk about CPG, a story <laughs> that came out from Mazinga about how, you know, major brands and other uh, major CPG brands should embrace cannabis. We're going to bring that up with here with Angela Pai, head of marketing at State House Holdings here on Blunt Business, back after a short break. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome back uh, to Blunt Business. I'm here with Angela Pai, our head of marketing at State House Holdings. Uh, Benzinga recently wrote a story, uh, the title that from controversial to profitable, why Nestle, Procter & Gamble, PepsiCo, and other CPG brands should embrace cannabis. And they wrote this, more than ever, CPG companies such as, as I mentioned, are looking to new segments such as self-care, plant-based products, and personalized items to bond with customers, provide an experience, and build a community. So they posed the question, then what can cannabis do for CPG companies and brands facing these challenges? Now, to give a little bit of your background, you worked 
uh, including your background includes ad agency giant Young and Rubicam and luxury brands like Halston. Wow. This, <laughs> there's a lot there. And I know Young and Rubicam because we worked on a station that worked on tech and marketing on the mainstream side. So digital marketing, I looked at that. I'm very familiar with Young and Rubicam and you know, they, they have a lot of work they've done with a lot of major brands. What avenues, Angela, would be worthwhile to these companies if you had a conversation with any of them? <laughs> well, this would be fascinating conversation with um, global ad agencies. Having been in the agency world for 20 years before I went into fashion, before I came into cannabis, right. little known fact, I actually worked on Ivory Liquid, Olive Olay, or Olay, and I launched Tide and Tylenol in China in the 90s. Oh, my God. So my experience and understanding of CPG, you know, with household brands like Tide and Tylenol, and you think about how do they become household brands? How do they become trusted and relied on by shoppers and consumers to have them in their house on a daily basis? And creating that consumer trust for us within the cannabis industry is something that we're all working towards. We don't yet have household brands um, in cannabis. And when we think about CPG, it's, it's not one thing, it's many things. So if you think about uh, personal care, so Olay, for instance, or skincare, what might be the, um, what might, how might cannabis plants have an impact on creating the next new innovation within skincare? So if you think about, CBG or CBD, and um, how can those cannabinoids help with, say, absorption, relaxation, and um, maybe anti-aging at some point. So um, those opportunities create new avenues of growth and new product development for CPGs. Now, if we look at, say, Tylenol, Tylenol is what the, the core molecule or, or chemical is acetaminophen and it helps with, you know, block, blocking pain. So what are the properties within the cannabis plant that helps with pain relief, with helping with inflammation? So it reduces pain. So then that that becomes, an, um, you know, something that's counteractive, like what Advil does. Um, so there are very many aspects of the cannabis plant that can be utilized across hopefully later on in terms of plant medicine and also in terms of personal care items like skincare. And then you think about the cannabis plant potentially in as a as a food ingredient within our cereals. You know, you think about what wheat germ did for for the natural foods back yeah. in uh the 80s and 90s. You know, we've seen hemp seeds go into clusters of oatmeal and snackables. And so there, there, there's just so many, so many opportunities for the cannabis plant as, as a CPG differentiator for brands. And we're only starting to see the early days of it and only being explored within our industry. And it hasn't been explored at the general mar market at large. And the thing is, when I look at what these large companies, there have already been some companies that have made their way in. I know Starbucks or Coors, you know, there's beverage companies so far to start creating and developing. That's right. Like Vitacoco with their, yes. you know, CBD infused water. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and you know, 
everything coming from cannabis infused beverages from Starbucks to Coke and Pepsi having discussions for Loco uh, releasing a hemp flavored malt beverage. And this is going back to I forget how far back I went and talked about this in an interview, but it was on a previous blunt business interview. I talked about this and seeing that they were, you know, where there's obviously, you know, millions, billions of dollars to be made in the U S cannabis infused drink market. Uh, I remember looking at a report from Zenith global that mentioned that the market would grow to $1.4 billion by 2024. Mm-hmm. There's the money in the market. So that will drive interest, mm-hmm. but how much drive can be done with companies like this until legalization happens? I think that's going to be really challenging. If we speak specifically about beverages that represents almost 2% of the total California cannabis industry, it's so, in terms of dollar value, so insignificant. But if you look at general market on beverages and the potential of infused beverages across the country, that's that's significant. So how long is it going to take for us to get from where we are today to the multi-billion dollar market of the future? And I think regulation is a huge part of it. Um, I think scientific research within cannabis to be able to show um, benefits, impact, um, predictable outcomes are going to be a part of that. And I think, you know, international companies will you know, be conservative in terms of how quickly they adopt, even they, even though that they know the the revenue and the market opportunity exists. And, you know, bear in mind, changing consumer behavior is not the easiest thing. So how do we uh, influence consumers to swap out their glass of wine or, you know, their, um, their convenient uh, white claw? For uh, a hemp we'll also or make cannabis it where it where, where, Right. And also you don't want to make it where it's something that just becomes trendy and mm-hmm. fades away, but it's mm-hmm. an existing and a sustainable product. Yes. I, I think it would be a holy grail to see a cannabis infused beverage right next to White Claw, truly. Now, what I want to ask you is when you look at the products they mentioned in this article, Nestle, Procter Gamble, you're talking about a lot of companies that make a lot of, you know, household products. Mm-hmm. But we've been talking a lot about consumables when it comes to CPG, mm-hmm. but I also don't hear about what other products could be developed. I mean, has there been any inkling to, in terms of what other things can be done besides consumables? If it was like, you know, for Procter & Gamble, say if it's like FabricSoft or if it's, you know, some mm-hmm. kind of cleaning solution, like what else is there that could be re- that, that could be developed and researched? From your standpoint, what other products could these companies be making? I think if you were to take a bird's eye view of a supermarket, there's probably a potential for a cannabis component within every single category. Wow. And I, and that's the thing. I think that's it, it, the sky's the limit as to mm-hmm. what is out there. Uh, before we move on to the next question, I didn't get a chance to make any point, but the impact you did by the fact you did, you said, Products like Olavalay and Tylenol introducing it into the Chinese market and legacy products in America and being done, made in America, by the way, without having to manufacture in China and bringing those products to market. That is incredible mm-hmm. that you were able to be a part of that. I don't even, that's uh, what a large market sector to go and enter into with these products, which are proven, you know, you know, the rest of the world gets to, you know, use these products every day. 
And to bring it to that market, that had to be exhilarating to be going to say, okay, we're going to do all this market. And I can only imagine that the, the budget, budget that you had to put this product to market must have been immense. It was pretty significant if you think about, one, being Procter & Gamble, and two, being at an agency like Saatchi & Saatchi back, mm -hmm. in, um, back in the 90s in terms of the importance of not failing. Right. When you're opening up a new market. Um, yes, it's incredibly exhilarating when, you, when I think back upon the importance of the launch, which, you know, took more than a year in terms of bringing to market and creating a completely new market that never existed before is in one's career, one of those things that is once in a lifetime. Right. It's also fascinating also from your background that you came from the world of advertising and the world of fashion and luxury brands, which for me, I've seen that quite a bit happening where we have people that are coming into the space. And it's just amazing how much of the background comes from that you worked in those areas and how many people from the luxury space will make their way into cannabis to create their own spin on products, especially on the design front. It's fascinating you know, for one sense, of course, the corporate, the Fortune 500s that come in for chief executive roles with new companies that need somebody that's, that understands structure and understands being able to go and move a company forward with proper leadership. And, you know, if they're publicly traded as well, but there's something else to say something about where you're coming in from luxury, you're coming from advertising and all this, this Madison Avenue bullshit coming into the cannabis space, extremely important because we need something to change the stereotype. It still is there. I look at New York. I was in New York you know, over a week ago and looking at all the shops and all the markets they had that were cannabis related and it's all still all green. Still, let's talk about stoner stereotype. It's like you can't debunk that. You can't get that away, but we need to sway away from that to normalize how cannabis is as a product. Oh, 100%. So um, if um, if you've noticed recently, we opened the first cannabis dispensary on the Sunset Strip uh -huh. in January. And if you think about first generation dispensaries that are in industrial parks that are zoned off of the main street in some sort of like hidden back street and to where we are today, having a you know, giant glass windows and doors facing Fred Siegel on the Sunset Strip with right. a glittering boutique. And you go, wow, we've come a long way in an industry to be able to normalize so that, you know, we have a sparkling cannabis boutique on the Sunset Strip. When, you know, what, four years, five years ago, there were frosted white windows yeah, become behind some sort of industrial park that you had to drive a little bit away um, from the city center to get to. And then now we're actually, you know, giving people a shopping basket and saying, go ahead, pick something off the shelf, um, browse, take it in, take a look around and drop it in your basket, ask any questions and um, you can use your debit card. And by the way, that's a uh, urban leaf you are BN Leaf base. Uh, it, it's 8477 Sunset Strip in uh, West Hollywood, California. So 
I wanted to make sure people knew about that. If you want to go and stop on by, it's a great looking story. I, I got to see some of the pictures of that as we're doing this. Now, the cannabis global supply chain, this is back to the Benzinga article we prefaced before we started the segment, is relentlessly assembling competitive cannabis producers on one end, processors in the middle, and retailers selling much more than just CBD or cannabis flowers. From food care to skincare, from food to skincare and supplements, cannabis is a full spectrum platform for CPG. And unlike the popular notion of being an illegal business, few industries are tracked and controlled as cannabis does. While new technology has transformed cannabis extraction for therapeutic use, GMP or good manufacturing manufacturing practices regulations can ensure that products are safe for consumption and your brand is in line with EU regulations. Now, so there's been the talk, obviously, with quality, compliance, the supply chain. I just talked to somebody about logistics within the supply chain and also opening international arms so they can imagine the ambitious effort they're making on that end. But I want to ask you about building sustainable operations while maintaining quality and compliance above the standard. And obviously, CPG companies, that's what they expect. What about the cannabis industry? Is it, I mean, what is it, what, what would be the best course of action to meet the standards? And above, above and beyond. Well, the standards are there to build trust of, as well as credibility and reliability. So creating and working towards GMP compliant manufacturing facilities, I think is something that the cannabis industry is moving towards. Um, perhaps for some companies, um, it's closer rather than further away. Having that level of accreditation of creating the credibility and confidence uh, will move and help shape that level of normalization and consumer acceptance. If you're fearful of whether your product is safe, is it free from pesticides, is it free from mold, and is has been packaged and manufactured at a facility that's globally recognized. So I think this is something that all of us want you know, if you think about uh, Papa Barkley or Canacraft with Care by Design is something that they would want to move towards as well. So it's it's possible, and I don't think it's going to be that far in the future. Now, in terms of sustainability, if we look at from the cultivation standpoint, what I know is that our overall consumption of water as well as electricity per gram has actually been reduced over time versus a year ago. And then in terms of, you know, manufacturing efficiencies, we've seen over 20% reduction in our cost of um, cost of goods, our COGS on the manufacturing side uh, versus a year ago as well. So we're constantly looking to be efficient in compliant facilities, as well as reducing the footprint of cultivating cannabis, as well as creating these products that we're bringing to market. So we're going to go back to commercial break. And when we come back, I want to just go ahead and uh, follow along and ask you about the changes. And I, I, we did a marketing roundtable about a month ago as we record this. And I got to talk to a couple of different companies with some really great ambitious brands about what is available now in terms of the marketing spend that you can do to get your product noticed and exposed. And I'm going to ask you about that when it comes to you know the Twitter ad policy being changed and where you're seeing what other social media markets or where else you can go to advertise or market or promote say urban leaf or other products within the cannabis space and the regulations and the 
parameters and filters that are of what's being allowed and what is not. I want to ask you about that. Uh, in the meantime, I want to go and make sure that all of you go ahead and look into the website. Website is statehouseholdings.com, statehouseholdings.com. And of course, you know me as the uh, stock aficionado. Can't help if there's somebody who's publicly traded. So they are on the OTC markets. Stock ticker symbol S-T-H-Z-F. Go ahead and uh, take a look at the uh, the ticker symbol and look at the website as we go to commercial break. I'm getting here with Angela Pye, head of marketing at State House Holdings. Back with final questions after this. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. We're in the home stretch here with Angela mm -hmm. Pye, head of marketing at State House Holdings here on Blunt Business. And I want to take it from a story from Marketing Brew. Uh, last month, Twitter updated its ad policy. We're recording in April. So this is actually in February this happened. Uh, Twitter updated its ad policy to allow cannabis ads in states where cannabis is illegal. And the month prior, Google relaxed some of its restrictions on advertising hemp and CBD products. Still, brands in the space are left to navigate a web of state laws and platform-specific policies in their marketing plans. Sites like TikTok don't allow the picture or promotion of any drugs, including cannabis, whether that's organic or paid content. And as a result, marketers have said that they're evaluating their social and digital strategies while looking for other potentially less regulated marketing channels. Same thing for, you know, for television or radio and trying to, you know, loosen the parameters through the FCC. Now, as I said before the break, I did host a marketing roundtable with uh, Aaron Riva, Riva Denera, who's with Director of E-Commerce at Kiva Confections. Ashley Field, Senior Vice President of Marketing Communications at CAMP. And I would recommend everybody listen to that interview. We go out through a lot of different, uh, a, lot of, a lot of ground we covered on that program. So I want to ask you about this, Angela. Talk to me about any curiosity you may have about these updated policies. Meanwhile, it's the same question I posed to them. We still have legalization fragmented as medical or medical slash adult use across 38 states is already implemented, but not the entire country. It's an interesting time for the cannabis industry and overall in terms of investment in marketing mm -hmm. and how much a brand or a company has available to spend. As you know, in California, cannabis is very challenged right now. So if the relaxing of cannabis advertising on these social platforms came maybe a year and a half ago, you'll probably see more budgets being loosened up and made available. I think right now, um, all companies are having a challenging time and perhaps don't have the marketing dollars to invest and test and learn and see how these social platforms can help with driving sales. Because right now, if you think about the consumer funnel, are you looking at awareness? Are you looking at consideration? Are you looking at conversion? Are you looking for repeat? So which part of that consumer decision-making process and that consumer purchase funnel are you trying to affect with social advertising, whether it's, whether it's Google or whether it's TikTok or Twitter? Because mm -hmm. we're all looking for attribution. I think at this point in time with social advertising, I would say it's more contribution than attribution for being able to map out the uh, efficiency and the importance of social advertising on these on these platforms. There are so much we've unpacked. Angela, I really appreciate you taking time out to go and talk to us here on the program. And, and once again, as we wrap things up, I mentioned the uh, 
stock ticker symbol. If you want to go ahead and look, state house holdings is publicly traded. OTC markets under the ticker symbol STHZF, statehouseholdings.com is the website. And for those that want to work with you and connect with you, what can you tell us about uh, where people can maybe see you, maybe speak, or if you know if people want to go ahead and learn more? Because even with what we learned about and what you're doing over at State House Holdings, one of the things that was being mentioned of that people have been saying rumbling about the impact that State House Holdings is making is from one story I'm reading up from uh, WeHoville. They made the point of saying that State House controls the largest and most developed cannabis platform in California aiming to generate organic growth and consolidate the highly fragmented cannabis industry. So how can people work with you? <laughs> well, they can reach out directly to me uh, at apihstatehouse.co and follow me on LinkedIn at just at Angela Pye. Um, I'm pretty, um, I'm pretty uh, sourceable and, and, and uh, findable if that's actually a word on LinkedIn. And uh, I'm, I'm on there very often. Um, and if you think about the stature of Statehouse and and how lucky I am to be working at this company, we have 14 dispensaries from Bay to Border between Harborside and Urban Leaf locations wow. and six brands within our portfolio across Kingpin King Roll, Dimebag, Loud Pack, Smokies, Sublime, and Fuzzies. Very generous portfolio and 14 retail stores and a very shoppable uh, e-commerce platform that's coming up soon for a new shopharborside.com website that I think is probably going to be the best in the industry. Fantastic. And also from the website, I want to make sure that if you are one of those that likes to invest over on the Canadian Securities Exchange, as ticker symbol is S-T-H-Z. Angel Pai, Head of Marketing of State House Holdings, thank you so very much for being on. Really a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for having me and having such a rich conversation. My pleasure, as always. And listeners, I hope you really enjoyed this. If you have any comments, questions, or anything you want to go ahead and add to the conversation, my email address is always available to you, brasco, B-R-A-S-C-O, at CannabisRio.com. Would love to hear from you. And we'll talk to you next time. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited. Saving money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big.